Sarah McInerney. We're going to go to the US now, where the Democratic National Convention concluded in the early hours of the morning. The four-day event, which usually draws thousands of party supporters, was very different this time around. The original convention, scheduled for mid-July, was upended by the pandemic and forced to become a virtual affair, renamed the Convention Across America. Despite those changes, a star-studded lineup filled each night's programme. The most hotly anticipated speech came from former US President Barack Obama, who made some very pointed remarks about President President Trump. Let's hear some of what he had to say. I have sat in the Oval Office with both of the men who are running for president. I never expected that my successor would embrace my vision or continue my policies. I did hope, for the sake of our country, that Donald Trump might show some interest in taking the job seriously. That he might come to feel the weight of the office and discover some reverence for the democracy that had been placed in his care. But he never did. For close to four years now, he has shown no interest in putting in the work, no interest in finding common ground, no interest in using the awesome power of his office to help anyone but himself and his friends, no interest in treating the presidency as anything but one more reality show that he can use to get the attention he craves. Donald Trump hasn't grown into the job because he can't. And the consequences of that failure are severe. Our worst impulses unleashed, our proud reputation around the world badly diminished, and our democratic institutions threatened like never before. Then last night, voters were treated to the centrepiece of the whole event. That was Joe Biden's acceptance speech of the Democratic nomination and the most consequential speech of his career. Let's hear some of that. The Irish poet Seamus Heaney once wrote, History says, don't hope on this side of the grave. But then, once in a lifetime, the longed-for tidal wave of justice can rise up and hope and history rhyme. This is our moment to make hope and history rhyme with passion and purpose. Let us begin, you and I together, one nation under God, united in our love for America, united in our love for each other. For love is more powerful than hate. Hope is more powerful than fear. And light is more powerful than dark. This is our moment. This is our mission. Well, just before that critical speech, President Donald Trump held a rally close to Biden's childhood hometown of Scranton in Pennsylvania. Joe Biden is a puppet of the radical left movement that seeks to destroy the American way of life. They don't understand. And probably when it happened, they'd say, what did we ever do? Joe Biden has pledged to hike your taxes by four trillion dollars in the largest tax hike in history, and they're going to waste the money on the Green New Deal, the Green New Deal. You know what you get out of that? Nothing, nothing except debt and death. They want to eviscerate the Second Amendment. They want to take away your guns. They want to take away your guns. Well, you remember that, just that one point alone. And they want to take away your guns. So who's going to vote for that? I mean, we want our Second Amendment. I've held it strong. And you think it was easy? I've held it totally strong. 
Well, we're going to cross to the US now to speak live to Suzanne Lynch, who is Washington correspondent with the Irish Times. And we'll start with the Democratic National Convention. Suzanne, a very different convention to usual, devoid of the crowds or the fanfare. But in many ways, the new setup made it more efficient. Yeah, I think um, we're now looking back on the last four days and it was a surprisingly enjoyable and kind of viewer-friendly experience. I think with a lot of things in our lives with coronavirus, Sarah, it's kind of forced people to rethink how they do things. And I think this is an example of where Democrats may uh, take what happened this week and use it as a blueprint for future years. So what happened is that rather than days-long and hours-long events uh, with thousands of people in a huge sporting arena, um, the activity were constrained, were conflated into two hours each evening um, and for two hours on primetime TV millions of Americans tuned into this virtual convention um, and in a way it reminded uh, me a lot of watching something like the Eurovision Song Contest, they don't have that here in America obviously but it was that same kind of feel The um, the uh, there was a moderator based uh, in LA in some cases and then they moved around the country, they heard from ordinary Americans and then this was interspersed by keynote speeches some of them pre-recorded, some of them live from senior well-known figure, li- figures like Bill Clinton, like Michelle Obama, like Barack Obama. Um, so I think the effect was, uh, was, was very strong because it kind of reflected uh, the reality and the diversity of America. Uh, and it also forced people to be creative about how they speak to people directly and not to speak for so long. Um, a lot of these speakers who tend to speak for hours uh, were forced under the clock to present their points concisely, uh, clearly. And the lack of applause, the lack of cheering uh, meant that the, th- the whole process was not slowed down. And I think it was a, a very kind of positive experience that now Republicans are going to have to think about because they're going to have their convention next week. And lots of big names, as you've outlined uh, in, in- giving speeches at the event, but also a lot of ordinary Americans. Yeah, and I think that was uh, one of the highlights of uh, of the week. Uh, for example, one of the centrepieces of the conventions, these pol- big political conventions, is the so-called roll call, when delegates from across the country uh, nominate um, their candidate for president. Uh, so this time uh, there was a virtual presentation from the 50 states and seven territories, just a couple of minutes each. And what you saw was um, scenes from American life. So, for example, we saw a woman standing in front of a field full of cattle in Montana with beautiful scenery behind her. We saw a local politician from Pennsylvania presenting the Pennsylvanian delegates outside Joe Biden's childhood home. We had um, from Puerto Rico, uh, one of the American territories, a delivery all entirely in Spanish. So I think... At a time of coronavirus when so many Americans are stuck at home, it was almost this whistle-top tour tour across America and a reminder of the diversity, the richness, the landscape and and what America has to offer. Uh, And I think it was quite an uplifting experience for a lot of people. How was Biden's speech accepted? Well, this was, you know, this capped the four days and there was a lot of expectations, a lot of pressure and a lot of concerns, quite frankly, about whether Joe Biden would live up to the moment. Uh, Throughout the week, we heard from great orators like Michelle Obama, like Barack Obama, like Bill Clinton, who were all excellent. And even though there was so much positive coverage from them about why Joe Biden is the man to beat Donald Trump, ultimately... Uh, Joe Biden is going to be the person who will sit in the Oval Office if he's elected in November. So there was a huge sense of expectation around his speech. And frankly, he delivered. He did live up to the moment. His speech uh, was well-paced. It was a mixture of you know, quiet anger at the Donald Trump presidency and yet offering a positive vision of unity, of hope. 
he, during his 25-minute speech, he never once mentioned Donald Trump by name. He instead, he used words like this president, this current president. But he didn't need to. His message was clear. Um, and he talked about where America had come. Uh, in particular, he really used this image of, of light and darkness and how he was the pre- could be the president to overcome what he called the season of, of darkness in America. And he began his whole speech with the words of the civil rights icon Ella Baker saying, give people light and they will find the way. And this was kind of the theme of the speech that he worked through. Um, so I think uh, people, a lot of people, a lot of Democrats, quite frankly, uh, breathe a sigh of relief uh, because, as I say, there's been a lot of questions about Joe Biden's age, about whether he still has gas in the tank, as they say here, uh, to lead the country for four years. But in terms of its performance last night, he was very commanding, very on top of things. And this will be an issue now for Republicans because Donald Trump and his campaign have sought to paint Joe Biden as someone suffering from cognitive decline, someone who's not up to the job, somebody who frankly, you know, can't string, string a sentence together. And yet last night he gave what many people are saying, the speech of his life. Uh, so I think Republicans are going to be very worried how to, how to uh, paint him mm. uh, as a negative candidate now going forward in the next few weeks. So what about those around the, him then? Vice President candidate Kamala Harris, uh, she gave a speech. What did she yeah. make of it? I think it was, uh, being honest, kind of overshadowed. Unfortunately for Harris, she uh, spoke on Wednesday night, the third night, but she spoke after Barack Obama. So those are big shoes to fill. Um, Now, she did uh, one of the other issues, and this is where the kind of virtual nature of this uh, convention can create problems. She spoke in in a large hall where Joe Biden also delivered his address um, but the quite wide wide panned camera angles and it did feel that she was quite isolated in this empty hall and at that moment I felt she kind of missed having the audience having that interaction between the crowd and the speaker um, in saying that it was it was fine the speech it was it was uh, it was quite personal I think this was about Kamala Harris introducing herself to America because for a lot of political watchers uh, we're familiar now with Kamala Harris her name has been around a while but a lot of Americans ordinary Americans were only now starting to tune into this election and they were learning about her for the first time. Last week, for example, I went to Delaware um, up beside where Joe Biden's from and I spoke to supporters there and a couple of people had said to me they, they did not know much about Kamala Harris. They liked her, they liked the fact that Joe Biden had picked her but they were looking forward to know more about her. Um, so I think that was, you know, she had a different aim, a different purpose to her speech. Everybody knows Joe Biden. Everyone knows he's a man of empathy. He has suffered a lot of personal tragedy in his life. He lost his first wife and infant daughter in a car crash back in 1972 and then he lost his own son in 2015 Bo Biden from cancer and there was a huge emphasis on this personal story and his story of resilience whereas Kamala Harris fewer people know her story so I suppose that was her point on Wednesday but it maybe lacked a little bit of the punch that people may have been expecting from her on Wednesday. And Obama then he was very pointed wasn't he in his criticism of President Trump? He was. And I think, first of all, again, the symbolism, I think this is an example of, of someone using this new format so well. He presented his speech from Philadelphia at the cradle of the American nation uh, and the words of the Constitution and um, were, were written behind him when he delivered the speech. So I think he made it very clear that this was, you know, a moment, a hugely important moment of history. He talked about you know, what we do in these next 76 days will echo through generations to come. And there was a real urgency about his comments, even though he was as slow, as as well-paced as ever. You could hear the the passion uh, in his voice. Um, And it is unusual for a president to speak about his predecessor 
um, in such strong terms. Since Obama left the Oval Office, he has restrained from criticising Donald Trump directly. Now, this has changed in the last couple of months since he's endorsed John, Joe Biden and since this election campaign has begun. But this is by far the most direct we've heard Barack Obama about Donald Trump. And I think one of the reasons he did that, and this is what he said, was that he was trying to convey to people sitting at home watching his speech that they need to go out and vote in November. So I think that is the reason why he pressed this message so so much. He again and again returns the importance of voting, as did Michelle Obama earlier in the week in her speech. Um, and he said, you know, people need to get out of the vote in November. He said some people in this establishment essentially want to take that vote away from you, but you need to exercise this vote that your forefathers fought for. Um, and it's important to make sure that we you know, put Joe Biden in, in the White House and, as he put it, lead the country out of mm. these dark times. And uh, President Trump couldn't stay away, really, in a way, from, from Barack Obama's speech. Yeah, he of course, um, you know, was live tweeting on all the tw- all the speeches for most of the of the week. Actually, he went on his own campaign rally across the country. As he said there, he went to Pennsylvania to Joe, just beside Joe Biden's home birthplace, just before Biden's speech. Um, so, uh, and last night we saw him tweeting uh, while Joe Biden was speaking. Um, he was obviously watching this at about nine p.m. when the convention started here local time. Trump actually called into Fox News and did a live interview with Sean Hannity. Now, this was before Joe Biden spoke. Um, but then he started tweeting when Joe Biden um, began his own speech, saying that in 47 years, Joe has done none of the things he now speaks about, and it's just words. So obviously, this got under uh, Donald Trump's skin. Um, and uh, he also was retweeting scenes of you know people cheering for him, MAGA, Make America Great. So um, I, think, I think everyone knows, I think, that Donald Trump was not expecting much from the Joe Biden speak. He probably was more expecting Obama, um, who is obviously such a skilled orator. But I think um, the the success of Joe Biden's speech, which was even praised by pundits last night on Fox News, is something that took Donald Trump by surprise and obviously angered him mm. uh, going by his tweets. So what then can we expect, do you reckon, from the Republican convention next week? Um, I suppose the format first, Suzanne, do you reckon it would mm. be a similar format? Well, this is quite interesting because Donald Trump is somebody, of course, who has got a career, if you like, or a background in reality television, and he really cares about how things look on TV. So the reports this week that he's been watching this closely and that he has been kind of giving advice and tips to his own people about how he would like the convention to be. And apparently he did that right up to the end of the 2016 convention himself. He and one of the criticisms he made about Michelle Obama during the week was that her speech was pre-recorded. Um, and he has said, he said it last night in Fox News, that he wanted more live content. Well, anybody in, in TV trying to run something like this will tell you, you know, you do need some pre-recorded content. So I think if he pushes that, that could be a risk. Um, we know about some of the people who are going to uh, be in attendance next week. Um, like the Democratic Convention, it will mostly be Democratic. Um, but we've got the Missouri couple who were famously pictured holding their guns um, at, at people protesting outside their house during the Black Lives Matter uh, protest. They have been invited to attend the convention. They'll be speaking. Uh, in a sign of how you can kind of um, split a story two ways, this week there wasn't much, but there was some discussion at the Democratic Convention about 
gun crime and a parent uh, who lost a child in the Parkland, Florida shooting was actually the delegate who spoke from Florida during the week during that roll call. In fact, we're hearing that next week we're going to hear from a parent who lost a child to gun crime who actually says that the t- if the teacher had been armed, maybe their child would have been saved. Mm-hmm. So we can see how, you know, there's two ways to, to spin this. Um, but... Uh, you know, there's no doubt that Donald Trump, this has been Joe Biden's moment and some people are saying it's, you know, he, he, it's, it's the moment of his career, quite frankly, yesterday. Um, but this can all change very quickly. Donald Trump and the Republicans are likely to go really on the attack against Joe Biden and Kamala Harris next week. There's also been some signs that the polls are tightening. Joe Biden's lead over Donald Trump is now uh, smaller than it has been. Um, so there's been quite a, a little bit of positive news, I think, for Donald Trump over the last few weeks compared to the very bad few months he's had. So he's by no means down and out. And I think next week's convention will serve for him, you know, to just talk directly to his supporters and try and get that enthusiasm up and those voters out in November. Um, just uh, separately then, Suzanne, there is tension um, continuing to brew around the issue of postal voting and the mm. post boxes. Is, mm. This is sort of extraordinary what's happening, isn't it? Yeah, it's like two stories have kind of converged here because the American post office was losing huge amounts of money anyway. And this was, um, this was accentuated if you like, during the coronavirus. And they had been looking for emergency money of 25 billion. Uh, and this was all wrapped up in discussions in Congress. But at the same time, Donald Trump has been um, intensifying his attacks on mail-in voting. He's always criticised this postal voting. He said after his election victory in 2016 that millions of Californians who were not supposed to vote actually voted for Hillary Clinton, presumably, in the 2016 election. So he's always had this issue, and now he's returned to this. In the last few weeks, we've seen him uh, describe November's election as a rigged election and basically trying to undermine uh, the results of November's election. The reality here is that postal voting um, does exist and is very sophisticated in some states in this country, but in other states they're very slow to introduce postal voting and the reality is that there will be a big increase in postal voting in November because of coronavirus. So there is a worry here now that by holding back funding for the post office, um, coupled with a lack of infrastructure among election officials in certain constituencies, that there could be problems in November. But really worryingly now, Donald Trump has managed to sow doubt about the integrity of the US election system and there's fears that he's going to use that to undermine the results if he loses in November. So it's a really, uh, really serious issue here. Now, the postmaster general, a Trump donor who was appointed by Trump earlier this year, he is due to speak to Congress today and on Monday. And he has said he's going to suspend some changes to the system that he had introduced, which actually did lead, as you say, to some mailboxes actually being taped up. He's going to suspend those until after the election. But I think Democrats are still not you know, haven't got enough reassurances from him that enough has been done to make sure the post office works as normal. All right. Fascinating times. Suzanne, thank you very much for joining us this morning. That's Suzanne Lynch, Washington correspondent with the Irish Times. We'll be back after this. Today with Sarah McInerney on RTE Radio 1. Sometimes you might forget